Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, all of those in varying degrees. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for this show. On the docket this evening, a review of last night's pay-per-view event, UFC 240, which was a lot of meh. A lot of meh. Uh, I can't really spin it any other way than that. Meh. We'll also have a preview of next week for UFC on ESPN5. Uh, they got a weird start time. I think there's another larger sporting event in the evening because the first prelim for that, I believe, will start at noon Eastern. So for those of you who want to watch next Saturday, don't forget, very early start time. And then uh, a little bit of news. Hasn't been a whole lot of news so far this uh, last week. Uh, been pretty sedate. I'm waiting for something crazy to happen. Uh, but until then, that's basically what we're going to be looking at for this particular episode. However, after a couple of weeks back working at San Diego Comic-Con, Jeff Harris is back with us. Jeff, how are you this evening? I'm one year older, but one year even less mature. Thank you. Alrighty, let's go ahead and jump into UFC 240 last night, starting with the main event. Max Holloway defeats Frankie Edgar via unanimous decision. 50-45, which was my score. 49-46, which I don't agree with, but <clears throat> I can at least see an argument for Frankie maybe getting the first. And 48-47 for Max Holloway, which is utter horseshit. Yeah, there's, there's moments in the later, in the later round. Honestly, I don't even feel like he won the first. I felt the first round was more like just one of those 10-10 rounds. It could have been. That's that's probably a more accurate represent. That's I don't know, that might be a more accurate representation of the round. Because I felt like Holloway was almost dictating the pace, but I felt both guys were kind. Of, there wasn't anything really notable in the first round at all. No, the biggest stuff that happened was Max really finding his distance and timing on some of those rear-hand uppercuts that really kind of jacked Frankie's head around. But Frank, I mean, Frankie did okay in the first round, too. So, I mean, I felt like we need to see, I feel like we need to see more 10-10s anyway, and I felt like that was a margin, that was a 10-10 to me. That's fair. I, I don't disagree with that. Five. You scored at 50-45. I did. So what did you think was BS? Uh, 48-47? 48-47. There's okay. no way Frankie won two rounds. Absolutely none. At best, he got the first. At absolute best. Every other round, no. And I don't care how much Joe Rogan screams about pointless takedowns against the fence after you get badly hurt. No. He didn't do anything with that takedown, and he got... he got That takedown didn't override... Matt. He was... No, he was badly hurt that round. Max yeah. really tagged him. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's an argument for Frankie winning a round apart from maybe edging out the first. Four? What was round four like? I think that was a decent round for Edgar. Edgar had a good. Edgar had a pretty decent, I think, like three minutes of round four. But the two minutes that Max really kind of dictated were absolutely the most impactful of that round. Yeah. No, I just, I, I, I don't. I mean, yeah. 10-10, my score for round one was a 10-10. I'm sorry. That's fair. 
No, that's fair. I don't uh, think that's inaccurate. Uh, just because I feel like when it's just so close and I feel like neither guy really got the edge over one another, I feel like it should be a 10-10. That's you know? kind of what they're there for. Um, also, in the first round, I mean, Frankie did score some good leg kicks that did damage throughout the fight. Yeah, I don't know what it is. He was landing a few of those, but I don't know if Max is just really very well conditioned to deal with those, but he didn't seem to care at all. If Frankie, if Frankie did more with the leg kicks instead of shooting for takedowns, he could have had more success in this fight. The leg kicks maybe, but I I think his takedown game I mean it's as good as it's always been, but he just was up against a guy who really knows how to was was prepared for it. Holloway's takedown defense has been one of his best attributes. Because guys, yeah, guys can't bully, because guys can't outgrapple him and they can't bully him around and toss him around. He doesn't let anyone do that to him ever. No, and just shooting on him desperately over and over again is a recipe for disaster. It's why Frankie kind of took the approach that he did. I mean, Frankie had he had footwork, he had speed last night. He tried to do his in and out sort of technique his boxing looks sharp he just the power the, the power is is a big thing for him because and the and the range holloway had the better he used he dictated the range last night he used his distance um frankie yeah, the, just wasn't able to get the he just wasn't able to get the volume you know yeah there was a lot of things that frankie i think struggled with in this fight one was just the distance management of Holloway. Holloway kept him where he wanted him pretty much the entire time. Uh, Max's jab did a pretty serious number on Edgar's face. And any time Edgar would try to close distance, if Max didn't want him to, he just punched him in the face a few times and got him to back off. Honestly, I think Volkanovski is going to be a tougher fight for Max. He will. If that fight happens. It should. <laughs> um, he, will, he will be if they make the fight. I mean... Frankie has fought bigger guys for most of his career and had success against bigger guys, but none of them have been quite on the level of a Max Holloway. So, And any time he did fight someone who was roughly on par with Max, he lost. Who? Oh, Aldo. Oh. By way of example. Um, <sighs> I mean, look, Max, at this point in time, better than Aldo. That's been there definitively some, there proven. There are similar, I think, I'm sure... Holloway studied the Aldo fights and the Ortega fight a lot for this fight. This fight reminded me a lot of uh, Edgar's fights with Aldo. Yeah, he couldn't find a good punching lane, which is one of the things he really requires. His footwork, while it's good about keeping him mobile and moving around, whenever he tries to actually close distance, he does so on straight lines more so than on angles. That's one of the reasons he kept getting stood up by Holloway's uh, jab. have one-punch knockout power. He doesn't have a lot of Frankie's not a big puncher. He just no, never, he never has, been. has been. I mean, he's had knockouts. He's had. A, I mean, he's had a couple, but those are rare. Those were rare when they, when those happened to him. Um, I mean, I think the only the only two like actual real you know concussive blow stoppages on his record I can think of off the top of my head are the second main or the third rather Maynard fight, and then the Mendez fight. Yeah. I mean, he has a few other, you know, kind of TKOs on his record. I mean, the BJ, the third BJ Penn fight. The just... fight was after he took an, another first round beating again. Yep. Um, 
overall a good performance by Max Holloway. Not really a not really a great fight, but it it sort of expands his legacy. It, it builds his legacy. It builds his resume. He has another win over a former champion, a guy who's been very successful at two weight classes. Who and and Frankie's been legit top five at featherweight despite the losses for the for the past several really since he moved down to featherweight. So I think it's only recently he dropped out of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Frankie's only losses in the last several years are to Aldo, Ortega, and now Holloway. So you have the two two most dominant champions in the history of the division. And uh, Brian Ortega. Uh, with this win, Max Holloway has now 13 wins in a row at featherweight. He has tied the longest active winning streak in a division. Both right. John Jones and Demetrius Johnson also have 13 wins. Uh, Jones at 205 and uh, DJ flyweight. Uh, if we limit his, if we limit it to the UFC, which is yeah. where this is limited, Aldo had seven. I think he had seven, yeah, because he had they were all title defenses. Okay. So let me double check. Because he came in at one twenty nine, so one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, he had seven. Okay, so if you count his WEC wins, which were all at featherweight, uh, it's much longer. It, it it doubles that, I think. Fifteen. I think, wow. Yeah, fourteen or fifteen. Um. You know, I don't really care about pound for pound, but I mean, you know, you have to consider Holloway an all-time great at this point. His skill set is quite remarkable. Because this is... I mean, look, the only other UFC featherweight... I mean, do we even... Other than Aldo was Conor McGregor, and Conor never defended the title, you know? So... I I don't consider Conor an all-time great featherweight. I consider well, him. I consider him an all-time relevant fighter, and you could argue a great fighter. Well, well Con- look, Connor did have his first run at featherweight, and he did knock out Aldo at featherweight in 13 seconds. So, yeah, I mean, again, he's, I'm not denying his success. It's a pretty great run as a featherweight. But uh, for me, at least, and some of this will be will vary from person but to person. He just doesn't have the body of work at featherweight. I mean, I mean, I mean, what does it say about Holloway? He beat a championship Aldo twice finished him twice. Aldo is still in Aldo is still really a top contender. Still is right now. I, I mean, mean, he's not going to fight max again because there's no point to it, but, but still one of the best. He's still one of the, you know, three best featherweights in the world. Right. So you have that. Holloway beat him, not only beat him twice, finished him twice. Um, beat Frankie Edgar and beat Brian Ortega, who was, you know, a really heavy, in a lot of ways, a heavy favorite going into that fight. You had this young undefeated contender. Um, and now, and now hopefully I, hopefully the fight with Volkanovsky is going to happen. Um, that's a great, that's a great, I like that matchup even better than this one. That's the fight I really wanted here. Ditto. But ironically Volkanovsky was apparently healthy and ready to go last night and they had him as the backup as the backup main event fighter 
He in did officially he weigh in just in case and weighed, I think, 144 and a half. Like so he, good on he him. Worked out, he confirmed he worked out a deal with the UFC to get paid to show up and weigh in on Friday. Good for so him. They, get paid, man. <laughs> I mean, now, on one hand, I respect UFC for doing that because this fight, this fight had fallen off, what, twice or three times before? Twice. So at least twice. So it was good to have a backup guy for for a matchup like this, to, so that so they have something ready to go. Um, but this is really the fight that should have happened. Um, at the time, I thought Volkanovski was hurt, and I was like, okay, this fight is available now. I guess you might as well. But apparently, Volkanovski healed up and was able to make weight. So I'm a little annoyed. Because that's a fight we should have gotten in the first place. I nope. don't know why the UFC really insisted on making this fight at this juncture. I agree with you that it should have been Volkanovski. He's the number I, one contender. I'm assuming that, you know, Frankie has a long history with the UFC. Maybe they felt they owed this to Frankie because the fight had fall, fallen off a couple times before. And maybe because, you know, he did do the, he did do them a favor with the Ortega fight, arguably. Even though it's it's his job, and, and well, it's his job to fight to fight who he signed to fight. Look, and the title fight was the the Ortega fight was supposed to be a title fight with Holloway. Remember? Yeah, and again, he did. He was not. You know, again, once that fight falls out, a fighter is no longer contractually obligated to fight. You have to rework it uh, with the fighter if you want to have them take a replacement fight. So Frankie but, didn't have to accept that fight. He chose right, to. But, I mean, honestly, Volkanovski should not accept another fight other than Max Holloway. At this Ab- uh, absolutely not. I agree because with you look, completely. Look, Frankie did not fight for over a year. His last fight was April 2018. He, and, he it was, sat- and it was what, the Cub Swanson rematch? Yeah. Right. And he sat out for over a year, and, and he got an opportunity to fight Holloway for the title. Now it's time for Vol- Volkanovski. He's the number one contender. This is his turn right now. So, you know, and, and if his manager can't like support him to make sure he he can't do anything until he fights for the title, that's on them. And and he has bad management, but it's the title fighter bust at this point. I mean, there's literally nothing. There's no other fight that makes sense for him in the division. He's coming off the win over Aldo. Like or there's Holloway, no one else. Or Holloway. Or Holloway for that matter. Unless Holloway wants to vacate and permanently move up to lightweight. No, if he wants to fight at featherweight again. It's just that I think he could be a competitive lightweight, but I don't see him becoming champion at this point. He'd need to really retool some stuff, and he, he could do it. He would need more time, and he would need more time. But uh, yeah, He's not going to just bounce up immediately and fight guys like, I mean, he lost to Dustin. He's not going to, I don't think he beat Khabib. I think he asks very interesting questions of Khabib stylistically, but I don't think he wins right now. And then coming up the division, I don't think he'd beat. I don't think he'd beat Tony Ferguson either at the moment. I think Zabit will be a future contender, but he's not quite ready yet. Uh, the UFC is going to continue pushing Zabit to be a future contender, if nothing else. I mean, they should. I think he he needs at least two more. I would say, or one or two more. Depends on who they match him up with for his next couple fights. But Zabit's, yeah. so we have Volkanovski and Zabit 
as I think future matchups for Max. And those are those are tough fights. But if he can pass those tests, you know, he could surpass he could potentially surpass Aldo's reign. In some respects, he in some respects, yes. I don't think he'll I just don't think Max will stick around the division long enough to really get to because this was his what third title defense. Third title defense, right? I'm not sure he's going to be around the division long enough to get you know four or five more. I'm fine as long as he can safely make the weight cut. I'm fine with him staying at 45. I agree, but he's also not even 30. He's 27. Right. And it wouldn't shock me if you know again three years, you know another couple of years and. He decides he just doesn't like the weight cut. I mean, that's that's the weird thing. Because he's still so shockingly young, we might be seeing a ceiling for him at featherweight at some point. Because he is a big he is a big big boy for featherweight, so we'll see. But he he his game his game the way his game has evolved is truly something impressive. If you look at his, I mean, because almost all of his fights have taken place in the UFC. He right. came into the UFC what? Or or no, or no. So of his twenty-five fights, twenty-one of them have been in the UFC. Right. And he went into this fight coming off a lot, like he just fought last April, and and he lost a tough five-round fight. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And that was not an easy fight. Another five-round fight against a former champion, a very successful, tough champion. Like, Frankie's old, but he's still very good at his age. So, he he had lost a lot of momentum after that Poirier fight. So, good for Max. Yeah. I'm, this- happy, for, I'm happy Max has had, I mean, he's, all things considered, he's had a pretty great career so far. Uh, definitely. I mean, he's guys already and guys older than him have not had a career as good as it, as good as this. You know, it's crazy. The majority of MMA fighters will not have careers as good as Max Holloway's. Huh? And he's only twenty-seven. He has, I think, fourteen UFC wins, something like that. Yeah. So it's just crazy. Like, can he, do you think he can get even better? Yeah, I don't know. To me, it'll be the next... There are things he can do. There are things he can do that might further refine his game. There's a few defensive things he could do that might help out. There's his his, The big knock on him is his lack of punching power at the moment. Who, Max? Yeah. To me, my big knock on him is he kind of doesn't mind getting hit a lot. Yeah, and again, there's a few defensive things he could maybe shore up stop and stop relying on his chin. I don't think he's quite as bad as Conor McGregor, but I think he kind of fights with his chin a little too much sometimes. In certain exchanges, yes. It's weird because in some places it's very clear he's like, yeah, go ahead, hit me, I don't care. Yeah. In others, it's very much, he's very, I mean, last night, for example, he was very good about shoulder rolling when Frankie was throwing right hands. Right. That went completely ignored by so many, so many people. But he was very... There's times when he's very defensively responsible. And then there's other times when he just kind of goes, no, right, I don't I don't feel threatened in this position or what have you. And like, okay, now go ahead and hit me. Uh, I don't care. 
Frankie, I'm not. Frankie doesn't seem like he wants to retire just yet. I'm not going to say he should move down to 30. I don't even know if that's a good weight cut for him or not. I mean, based on his um, size, it's probably where he should have been. But the thing is, the thing is, he's still 37, and he's had a lot. He he's a 37 year old who's had a lot of five round fights and a lot of miles on that body. I think if I were if I were yeah. him, I might try it out once. Just like, okay, let me, you know, give me a, a relatively, give me a decent bantamweight. Right. Let me have a, let me see how it feels. But he might just really not like that weight cut. I mean, his entire career has been around, he spent it assiduously not cutting weight. I mean, people were calling for him to move down to featherweight when he was having his lightweight run, which made no sense at the time because he was doing well as a lightweight he was doing well for himself and it made no sense for him to cut down until the time he did because the UFC had featherweights at that point and he would he would have had an opportunity to fight for the title right off the bat um but I think what Frankie at least has going for him he 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 was a successful champion uh, he, he, he was a contender in two different weight classes, which is very hard to do. Just getting a title shot in the UFC is a hard thing to do. And he was a consistent top contender in two, uh, in a, in a, a lower weight class, which he was never able to secure the title, but just the fact that he has a title run in his career and that he was always a smaller guy, excuse me, smaller guy. I think that says a lot about him, you know? Just his toughness and his skill level. He, If he re- were to retire tomorrow, he would have had a pretty successful career. Not saying he should, but, but he has nothing to be ashamed of at this point. No, not really. I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think there's anything he should be ashamed of. I think maybe... Now, in my... This is just my opinion. I think he probably should think about maybe not retirement, but his exit strategy. Because, look, he's 37 now. He's not a young man anymore. He's had, let's see. So now he's lost how many? He's lost three title fights at Featherweight, right? Uh, Two, yeah, two undisputed, one interim. Okay, so he's lost. So. He could potentially work for another another title shot, but the fights aren't going to get easier. At thirty seven, he really should have his eye on the exit. The window is, cl- I mean, the window's closing for him. Now, all right, hypothetically, if he were to make a move down to one thirty five, look who's ahead of him: Rafael Asensio, Aljamain Sterling, Marlon Moraes, Peter Yan, Pedro Munoz. Some of the, you know, Frankie, I think, matches up decently with a couple of those names, and I think you would agree. Yeah, I th- I think he'd probably beat Austin Sal or Munoz. But Munoz rather he, handily, if actually. If he cuts down to 135, is he getting to the point where I'm 37, I'm cutting more weight now, is this a tough, is this a tough cut, is it an easy cut? Um, will I, will I, am I, am I... Is the weight cut, is it taking away any of my speed? Is it taking away my footwork? And can I put, 
He's 37. Can he put together a win streak, you know, a realistic win streak that puts him in the title contention at 135 against uh, someone like a Henry Cejudo? I, it, Considering that the UFC is going to shoehorn Uriah Faber in there, yeah, he's got a pretty good shot. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. It just doesn't seem... Re- it doesn't seem realistic to me. But look, he's he's had he's he at least can hang his hat on the fact that he was a UFC champion. He defended his title multiple times in the bloodiest, most crowded shark infested division in the sport, uh, which really wasn't even even his ideal weight class. So that counts for a lot. I would say he should retire, but it's not my call. Just because it's it, it's only going to get even harder from here on out. Yeah, now, I agree with you that he, he at a minimum, he should have his exit strategy in place at this point. Because my, my, my thought, Robert, it's not just the fact that he's been in all these five round wars in the cage. It's the damage he's taking and training outside the cage, too, which we don't know about. And we and, have that has to be a significant that has that's a big part of the accumulation of the damage fighter, excuse me, fighters take in their career, correct? It's much more, in many cases, it's more significant than what they take right. actually fighting because right. they do it so much more often. Depending on how often they're training and, and, and what they're doing in the gym, that's what I'm also, I'm also concerned about that. So that's just my thought on Frankie, but ultimately it's not my call. He, he doesn't seem like he's quite ready to retire just yet. No, and he's also in a bit of a rough spot. I think Frankie's record in UFC title fights is something like after this. I believe he's like what three, th- uh, three, five, and one. Not quite as bad as Holly Holmes. So. No, no, but it's a stat. I've, it's a stat I've started looking at since you brought that up for just multiple time title challengers, because I think it's irrelevant. And I mean, look, I do it. Not bad as Holly Holm, Uriah. (laughs) No, but it's not good. No. I I mean, the only guys he's beaten in title fights were BJ Penn, who started his pretty epic decline right after that, those fights. And Gray Maynard, who also went on a pretty heavy slump. Right. And I'm not trying to downplay Frankie's accomplishments. Dude was a champion in a very, very competitive division that was not his ideal weight class. And, and he was a, and he was a top contender in, in a very tough competitive division as well. In featherweight. Yeah. yeah I, I agree there. Look, look, right. Beat Faber, Swan. I mean, Swanson was no joke when they fought. No, Swanson was on the best run of his career. Mendes, when they fought the first Mendes, time. Mendes, Mendes was at the top of his game too at that time. And even Jeremy Stevens for that. I mean, Jeremy Stevens has, has sort of. Jeremy Stevens has sort of hung around that same spot that he had when he and Frankie fought that right. time. But but Stevens is always a tough customer. So And Stevens, in predictable Jeremy Stevens fashion, badly hurt Frankie in the first round, but Frankie okay. just gutted through it. All right, I think we can move on to the co-main event. Yeah, there's. Um, I, I think. Eh. What's your takeaway from Felicia Spencer versus Cyborg? Uh, Felicia Spencer is a lot tougher than I thought she was. Mm-hmm. She took a lot of punches and a lot of st- shots to the body and only really got hurt the one time. I think it was in the second round. 
she had her moments. Um, I, don't, I mean, I was kind of, I was surprised with what she was able to do, but I also felt like she could have done more. In some respects, yes. There's a few other things she might have been able to try doing, but you know, the majority of her game revolves around either just kind of, you know, Taekwondo-style kicks at distance or being a superior grappler. Like, in the second round, like, she had Cyborg hurt and a little, and on her heels a little bit, and I don't really feel she capitalized on that. And then Cyborg, by the third round, it looked like Cyborg had found her second win. Yeah, there's a there's a few things there. Okay. And, well, again, there's a couple things. One, Felicia uh, Spencer got hurt pretty badly to the body, uh, in the, again, in that second round. So I think even when she was able to kind of... Because she caught Cyborg with a couple of elbows coming in. She was very well-schooled and uh, well-disciplined in what she was going... What she really kind of wanted to do when Cyborg was doing what Cyborg does. So she had a really kind of a decent feel for landing, intercepting elbows, for being able to push into the clinch and kind of neutralize some of Cyborg's game by constantly doing that. But uh, I don't think she ever... I think the only time she kind of had Cyborg on her heels was after she had already been hurt to the body that same round. And just I think she was just kind of like, okay, I get to take a break at this particular moment rather than... You know, continue getting abused. But I, I think she acquitted herself very well, uh, all things considered. I mean, again, she didn't win, but she had moments of uh, some success, and she didn't just crumple like a, you know, a folded-up piece of newspaper every time Cyborg touched her. And apparently that's the first time Cyborg's ever been cut in a fight. So, you know what, again, there were some things that she was able to do successfully. And I think if the UFC is going to kind of keep Featherweight around as something of a, even if not a real fully functional division, if something that you just kind of keep around to have a few fighters from time to time, I think she's certainly a valuable addition to that particular, you know, roster. Because I don't think she can make 135. Um I think she'd have to lose a fair bit of muscle mass to do it. I could be mistaken about that, though, in all fairness. But Cyborg now, I think this was the last fight on her deal. So she said she's ready and willing to fight Amanda Nunes again, and, you know, Godspeed know. to her. Fr- pretty much on the po- at the post-fight press conference, uh, seemed to be a bad state between her and the UFC. I don't know if they can work something out, but... Looks like she's ready to go to WWE to fight Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania or something. <laughs> Ronda would never step in the ring with her. <laughs> Ever. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Vince I'm just saying, Ronda, there's no way Ronda doesn't see her even in that context and get shell shocked. Like, nope. I just, mean I just mean nopes. But you have to agree if WWE could make that happen, that would be huge. Like, that would be, like, they could get one of their biggest WrestleMania things ever, if they were to do that. It might be pretty big if they could get, if they can get all parties to, you know, get into a working relationship. 
Because that's like the that was other than Lesnar versus Fedor, that was like one of the few dream matches they couldn't put together. That's true. I I think it's probably a little bit more likely she winds up in Bellator than she winds up in WWE right now. But I could be mistaken. I mean, if she wants to go to Bellator, power to her. I mean, she and Scott Coker have a previous relationship, and she'd be doing for Scott basically what she's been doing for Dana, but she likes Scott more. Because, I, I, I mean, in all seriousness, outside of Amanda Nunes, there's not really anyone in the UFC who's all that likely to have a lot of success against her. I mean, if they and if they do the Nunes rematch, I mean, I... I'd bet the house on Amanda Nunes this time around, but I, I don't I don't really see it going any differently. But if she wants that rematch, then you know what? Hey, more power to her for trying it. And it was a relatively successful fight financially. So if they can, you know, come to financial terms for all parties and everything, then I'm OK with it. I mean, Nunes said she wants to defend the featherweight title next, and there's not really anyone other than Cyborg. So, we'll have to see how that plays out. But, eh, not a bad fight, all things considered there. Um, you know, with the way the rest of this card is, you want to just do quick hits for the whole, for the, you know, the rest of the fights? Because I, I don't have a whole lot for any of the rest of these, unless you do. Nope. All right, uh, Jeff Neal defeated Nico Price via TKO in the second round. I think this was your fight of the night. No, no, it wasn't good. Shouldn't have been. But I know how much the UFC hates flyweight, so I thought they'd just completely ignore the flyweight fight on this card that happened. Uh, but this was a fun little kind of roadhouse-style brawl. Jeff Neal's a legitimate guy to pay attention to. He should be fighting someone somewhere. Uh, he should probably be fighting somebody around the top 15 next. Not very, you're not super high into the rankings, but, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that range. That seems like what he should be, where he should be shooting next, because he's pretty legit. Armin Sarukian defeated Olivier Obama-Mercier via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, meh. Look, Sarukian is a talented wrestler, and when I say wrestler, I don't just mean takedown artist. I mean, the dude wrestles. But there was a lot of null. I mean, I can't remember the last enjoyable Obama Mercier fight. I just I can't. Uh, I know he's had a bunch of fights in the UFC. He's had a couple of finishes. He's been finished, I think, once or twice. But I nothing he does really sticks out in my mind. He might be going the way of uh, good old Elias Theodoru in the next eight months or so. Just throwing it out there, especially at lightweight where. You know, lightweight, uh, they're not hurting for talent. Christoph Yatko defeated Marc-Andre Burial via split decision. This fight sucked. Um, Viviane Araujo defeated Alexis Davis via unanimous decision, uh, 29-28 across the boards. Um, I like Araujo's, elements of Araujo's game, but man, does she have to learn to manage her energy. Uh, she came out bouncing and just after about three minutes was like, okay, I cannot maintain this pace. Uh, she really, Alexis Davis does not wear damage well. Uh, she gets marked up very, very easily. She had some moments of success in the, I mean, she won the second round. 
But, uh, yeah, Arujo is, I think, someone we should be paying a little bit of attention to, especially because she's young. And if she can kind of iron out some of those kinks in her game, definitely someone to pay attention to. Hakeem Dawadu got the predictable squash win over the debutante Yoshinori Horde. Uh, Horde? I think it was Horde. Uh, via head kick in the third round. Um, Dawadu's got a little bit of the uh, the old Quentin Rampage Jackson in him of, you know, stand still and let me hit you. Uh, but when Horde slowed down, I mean, because Horde gave him a lot of problems in the first round just by moving. And hitting him and not letting him really... Fu- then in the second, Hortier started slowing down. Uh, Dawadu actually cut off the cage a couple of times. He was able to get his bo- his body work starting to you know, go. And then in the sec- in the third, he was able to find clinches, knees to the body. Really nice head kick to finish it. But uh, the UFC has gone out of their way to give him favorable matches so far. Um, might be time to take the kid gloves off at this point. Um, Gavin Tucker defeated Seung Woo Choi via rear naked choke in the third round. Uh, Gavin, this was Tucker's first fight back uh, in over a year, uh, probably about 18 months, actually. A lot closer to two years now that I think about it. Uh, He was last seen in that fight with Rick Glenn that really should have been stopped. But, I mean, he looked all right. Um, uh, you know, coming off of that layoff, I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on you know just having a bit of ring rust. Choi didn't look terrible actually. He acquitted himself w- rather well in a few different spots. So and he, and he was brought in again more or less to lose, but had some moments of success. So I don't know. I, I'll need another look at him before I can really kind of. He had fought. This was his second UFC fight, I believe, and he lost the other one. I can't remember who to, though. Eh. Um, all right. In your fight of the night, Davison Figueredo defeated Alessandri Pantoja via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. This was a fight. I'm going to miss flyweights when they're gone, man. Uh, you know, Figueredo's a banger. Uh, he was able to hurt Pantoja several times. They had a couple of really nice scramble exchanges on the ground. They went full roadhouse at a few different points. I mean, what more could you ask for? Really, really good fight. Uh, Figueredo would now be in the contendership queue if there was actually a champion in the division. Uh, Look, when I know Dana White said Henry's absolutely going to defend the flyweight title next, Dana's full of shit. Well, if you heard Dana after Cejudo got hurt, he didn't quite go back on that, but he was already sort of he he walked it back his previous uh assertions so we'll see the previous plans were built around a different timetable that's no longer in place so we'll have to see what happens next Uh, i mean that's still after they like cut half the divisions more than look this point in 2018 so july of 18 there had been i think 20 some odd flyweight fights in the ufc Right around 20. I Don't hold me to the exact number. I saw this on Twitter and I can't remember. But double digits, certainly, flyweight fights had taken place under the UFC banner at this point in time last year. To date, including Figueredo versus Pantoja, we have had eight in 2019. 
there are not even 15 fighters on the roster at flyweight. And two of the best, two of the top three flyweights in the world do not fight for the UFC. They have no interest in this division. But this was, again, this was a great fight. Um, Jillian Robertson defeated Sarah Frota via TKO elbows in the second round. Um, Sarah Frota's not good and shouldn't be in the UFC. Not to say she can't get better, you know, with time and experience, but uh, she's not a UFC caliber fighter. And kicking everything off, Eric Koch fighting at welterweight. Remember when he was supposed to fight... uh, Jose Aldo at featherweight, as I do. Anyway, he defeats Kyle Stewart via unanimous decision. Eh, boring fight. A lot of clinching. Um, both these guys gassed pretty hard in the second round and then just never recovered. Uh, anyway, that was it. Again, a very, very Mac card. Best things about this card, Figueredo and Pantoja. Absolutely look that up if you haven't seen it. And if you're really interested in some of the minutia of fighting. There's a lot of interesting stuff in Holloway and Edgar, but other than that, not a whole lot here. Alright, Jeff, what are your burning desires from that group of fights? Anything stick out to you? This was a one-fight card. Pretty much. I remember uh, I was watching it live and they had those those first two fights on pay-per-view, so Jotko Berrio and then Saruki and Oba Mercier, and I went... Yeah, but you just had to throw Figueredo and Pantoja buried on the prelims, didn't you? The UFC hates that division. I'm I mean, almost certain. But Jeff Neal, Nico Price is the main event for ESPN. On yeah. an ESPN Plus card, maybe. No, I mean for the prelims. Oh, for the prelims, yes. Uh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah. Figueredo versus Pantoja probably should have been on the main card. Um, Yako uh, Barrialt was awful. Uh, yeah, that's going on my list of worst fights of 2019. Mercier was awful. It was a very li- it was a listless card for the most part. There Eric- were a few- yeah. Yeah, there were a few jokes uh, after we had Tucker and Dawadu win back-to-back fights about how Canadian MMA is not dead. And then we had Jocko. Uh, then we had the first two fights on the main card. Like, did it just die again? Canadian yeah. MMA has re-expired. Uh, because, ew. All right, well, such as it was, that was UFC 240. Thank you to everyone who followed along live, who read after the fact, who commented, who shared me, who shared my work with anyone. Who just clicked on it to give me a click and didn't even read anything. You know what? I don't you care. Think the card will be better than next week's? I don't know. <laughs> next week's um oof. ESPN card. It is. Um yeah, UFC on ESPN five. <sighs> There's some potential on this card. There really is. There's right. also there's also not potential so much. For, for horrendous. I mean, uh, the main outcomes. the main event is one of those that's. You, know, I tend to think of Colby Covington kind of as the um, the welterweight Trail Sonnen, mostly in the fact that 
I mean, again, part of it is just the bad trash talk. His he is not known for his barn burners. Like he's not. Yeah, I mean, he's a grinder. He's a grinder. He's a grinding wrestler. That's his game. Yeah, I I'm trying to remember who I heard say this about Shale, and I think it was. I think this was part of a larger point that uh, John Danaher was making. If you're going to be a fighter, you do have to define yourself at some point. Some people are action fighters. Some people are technical, technically, you know, perfectionists. Uh, it's he listed like three or four different, you know, kind of ways that you know, kind of fighters that you can be. Not in the sense that, not just in the you know who you are in the cage sense, but more in the who is your what is your fighting persona? Who are we selling here? And he listed Chael Sonnen as a great example of a drama fighter, because Chael's not a Chael's didn't have barn burners. But Chael absolutely got you invested in the build-up to the fight, kind of. Even if the fight itself was a lot of hope, was a lot of humdrum. And Colby's kind of the same way. He goes out of his way to kind of get you going prior to the fight, and then the fight itself is a lot of his just, his Colby's wrestling. Smart. He knew he he knew he had to. He he t- he clearly took uh, cues from the Chelsea playbook, and it worked to his advantage. Yeah, and you know what? God bless him, man. I if he's able to get paid for it and it raises profile, sure. raises his bank account, go get paid, man. Sports want s- combat sports. They want clowns. They want they want characters they want personalities they want spectacle they want even if it's fit phony they want guys who oh it's almost all phony look (laughs) no one cared about muhammad ali when he was cassius clay winning the olympic gold medal i mean most people don't care about the olympics and boxing anyway well look what did he do he he modeled he he was a loudmouth before he he was a loudmouth before he changed his oh, name. Come on, look he he clearly he modeled the persona off of a pro wrestler. Yep. And became a living legend. Okay, I'm not saying he wasn't skilled, but he played he played it up, and he he developed an on screen persona that drove people crazy. He was and Muhammad Ali at the time was a polarizing figure. Undeniable. Uh, he w- still he is in some ways. He had just as many people that hated him. Um, that loved him. So. Yeah, and Colby seems to have decided, all right, this is the route I'm going to go. And again, like, I, I don't care. A, I don't think he believes a lot of the stuff he says, certainly not to the degree that he says it. He's saying it for effect. Right. Which. But it works. It, it does. Works. Much as it grates on me personally, and all of the stupid trash talk in MMA grates on me personally, it is effective. And you know what? You're you're in that sport. You're putting your health and your body at risk. You know what? Do what you have to do to get paid, man. I don't begrudge any fighter anything that they do within the bounds of legality. Fighting Robbie Lawler in this... Lawler may not be the champion he was, but he's still probably one of the more dangerous fights in the division. Because he has that ability to come forward and just end your night in seconds. He almost did it to Ben Askren. Oh, God. That that slam he hit Askren with was a thing of beauty. Right. So, 
Covington has to be careful here because this is a very this is this is not the Lawler who returned to the UFC and went on a warpath to become champion, but he's still a very dangerous Robbie Lawler. And I think you would agree. Oh, I agree. Robbie Lawler's always dangerous. And Covington also presents a lot of the same problems that Robbie has demonstrated an ability to deal with. <laughs> Most of Robbie's career has been shutting down takedown artists and then punishing them on the feet. That's kind of his bag. Now, Covington is somewhat you is more on the unique side in a couple of ways. And uh, one of them is just his relentless pressure. Colby doesn't really take a backward step and Robbie can be pressured. Uh, that's largely where uh, RDA beat him. Uh, it's where Donald Cerrone had some success against him. It's where Condit had success against him when he did. Great car- He's a cardio machine. Doesn't really get tired. True. And if he gets you on the fence, even if you're stopping his takedowns, part of the problem with that a lot of people have had against Covington it's not that they can't, it's not that you know he's a monster at getting takedowns or it, once he gets on top of you you are never getting up because that's not that's not the case but once he makes contact with you getting away from him is so difficult he just does not let you get space so even if you were not even if you're not being taken down i mean he only took down he did not he did not get dos anjos down effectively in their fight, but I think like three times. Like he, he was able to get a few, mat, a lot more mat returns than straight up takedowns. But Dos Anjos could not get free, and that's what caused him significantly more problems than the, you know, than any sort of like you know general general top pressure or monstrous takedowns out in space that Covington hit him with. And Robbie can be backed into the fence, and as good as Robbie's takedown defense is generally. Some of what Covington does is just he goes up and down very, very well. He goes from attacking your legs to the body to duck behinds, uh, again, to looking for mat returns, and he just doesn't give you space to really do anything. So while you're not taking damage, you're losing the fight. And that's something I'm not sure I've really seen Robbie deal with, especially lately. I mean, the closest we have, I think, for comparison would be some of the Johnny Hendricks fights. And Johnny Hendricks, while a more credentialed amateur wrestler, had a very different style of MMA wrestling. And he did a lot of getting you to the fence and then spending a lot more time kind of, you know, bent over looking for something rather than, again, a lot of the up and down, a lot of the angle changes, a lot of the go behinds that Covington is much more, uh, uses much more liberally. So I'm not sure really. Um, I can see either man winning this fight. I Colby got outstruck by Damian Maya. I'm picking Covington, but only by the slightest of margins. I'm kind of with you there. I'm leaning towards him just a little bit. I mean, again, Colby got outstruck for a round by Damian Maya. And if you get outstruck for a round by Robbie Lawler, you're probably going to sleep. But Um, I I feel confident leaning towards Colby. Lawler does have his problems, though. Yeah, neither of these guys are perfect. Sometimes Lawler can be slow to start, and he kind. Sometimes I think he gets a little too laid back in his game plan, and 
he waits too long to like pull that trigger. Like once he pulls the trigger, he's like a killing machine. But sometimes it takes a little for him to get it started. And in doing so, he's suddenly dropped two rounds. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not necessarily... Pre- I'm just saying we've seen Lawler do that in multiple fights. And... And the, and the kind of fight... Well, and the kind of fight that Colby brings to you is the kind that encourages you to kind of get lazy mentally, too. Uh, like, oh, we're here on the fence again, and you're bent over again, and I'm not... And I can't get anywhere again, and oh, God, I'd rather be doing anything else but this right now, not because you're hurting me, but because I'm so bored. I mean, look, Dos Anjos really kept him on his heels that entire fight. Yeah. That was one of the tougher fights of his career. And Lawler's 37 37 now. He's had over 40 fights in his career at this point. And some of those have been wars, man. Look, he did basically get finished by Ben Askren in his last fight out. He's had a lot of wars. He's fought in many different weight classes, and I don't know. We'll see. I just I'm 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 only slightly leaning toward Covington because Covington is not without his flaws, and he is he's mainly a wrestler and, and a grinder, so we know what he wants to do. Um, and like you said, if he can get outstruck. By Damian Maya, Lawler is also capable of that, but can he do it? So. He also really didn't want to grapple with Maya the same way he's going to try and grapple with Lawler, but it, it just speaks to a general deficiency in his game at the moment. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very confident in leaning just slightly towards Colby Covington, if that makes any sense. Uh, all right, your co-main event is currently announced. I'm shocked this fight hadn't happened before, but Jim Miller and Clay Guida are going to fight. And you know what? For an old man fight, you could do worse. <laughs> kind of makes sense considering where both men are at this point in their careers. Uh, I mean, it should be an easy win for Miller, but like Miller's slowed down a lot too in the last several years. Miller's been out wrestled a lot lately. Miller yeah. only recently snapped a four fight losing streak, and he's only two and one in his last three. Yeah, he's he attributes well two things about that that uh, one of those is his level of opposition. I mean, look at those losses. I mean, Trinaldo's not a world beater. Like Trinaldo's good, but he's not a world beater. No, but you know, Anthony Pettis, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, and Charles Oliveira are Dan the others. Dan, I mean, Dan Hooker is decent, but he's not like top five to me. No, but he is, I think, top fifteen now. Dan, he's a Dan. I mean. Oliveira. Uh. I mean, look, it's Char- Charles Oliveira is just he's, he again. He's not a perfect fighter. He's not this you know winning machine, but he's also a tough guy to beat in a lot Pettis, of respects. I mean, look, he he lost to Pet. Does Pettis in losing to Pettis uh, in 2017 mean a whole lot? Yeah, there are worse guys to lose to than Pettis. I guess, I guess but. Uh, I'm picking Miller. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards Miller as well, but I won't be shocked if he gets, you know, Guida humped into, for 15 minutes. You know, look, we, I know you're not a big Guida fan, but he has had his, 
earlier in his career, he did have his entertaining fights and entertaining moments, even though he did a lot of, let's be honest, he did do a lot of silly stuff in the cage as well. Still does. <laughs> yeah. He was throwing scorpion kicks at Eric Koch. It's just, uh, again. I just I, remember that fight with Gomi where he was, like, dancing around. He, he, or the fight with Gray Maynard where he spent four rounds doing nothing. And then, and then I, I, as I recall in that fight, Gomi was just standing in front of him looking stunned. Yeah, Gomi actually at some point just stood still and went, okay, what are you doing? And Guido went, nah, man, can't you hear the music? It worked. He submitted him. And then he submitted him in the second round. Uh, you know, Gomi at that point. Oh, man. Gomi was so far past it at that point. Gomi's another guy who just sort of like, what what, what happened to you, Gomi? Just time. I think, well, Gomi, time and a notorious kind of disinterest in training. Even in his pride career, Gomi had like just embarrassing hiccups. Like the loss to Aurelia. That was a little bit weird. Like what, like, like had a great performance in the tournament, won the title. And then gets submitted by by Aurelio and just gets dominated and submitted by Aurelio in the first round. Looked like he didn't care at all. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that was pretty, again, he was pretty notorious for was his lackadaisical training methods. So, uh, yeah, pick, picking Miller. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, Miller, it's more sentimental, but fighting, yeah. If you're going to keep fighting Miller, at least be Clay Guida. Come on here. Please. It's more sentimental at this point, but yeah, I'm picking Miller as well. Okay. All right, also at lightweight, uh, Joachim Silva. Not the biggest names, but it's a de- it's a decent lightweight contest. Well, Silva's not bad. I mean, his, he knocked out Jared Gordon in his last fight. That was a pretty good fight, actually, Isn't, as I recall. Yep. Uh, his only loss is to Vince Pichel, and Nasrat Hakparast is uh, pretty legit. Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's see. I'm picking Silva. I'm going to pick Hackparast, actually. I, I think uh, uh, I think Jared Gordon had enough success uh, in places against Silva that he provided, again, a bit of a blueprint for what Hackparast can do successfully. So I'm going to I'm going to lean with I'm going to go with Hackparast. But okay. that fight's going to fly under some radars, but it's going to but it's pretty good. You can see why the UFC was so desperate to get Colby Covington on this card. Yeah, this card really did need a, a fight really, like Covington really and Lawler. Thin, it's really thin for an ESPN card. It is. Um, Trevin, middleweight, Trevin Giles will fight Jared Mershart. Uh, Gerald, excuse me, Gerald Mershart. I don't go with Mershart. I mean, he's had a really rough UFC career. It's been very, very up and down. But I seem to recall scoring his last fight for him, the Kevin Holland fight. I might be misremembering that. Okay. I have Another, nothing else to add there. Um, Scott Holtzman will fight Dong Yon Ma. This is actually this is, a pretty good fight. Um, this is a good matchup. I, I like this matchup. Yeah, Dong Yon Ma, for those unfamiliar, is actually Dong Yon Kim, but not stun gun Dong Yon Kim, the maestro Dong Yon Kim. He goes by Ma to distinguish himself from Kim at this point. Um, and and, and has the a maestro, record, at least. Well, the Maestro's had a lot of really engaging fights. I mean, he came in in that fight with Dominique Steele. He was up at welterweight and still had moments before getting finished. His fight with uh, Marco Polo Reyes from UFC 199 is absolutely insane. That is an insane brawl. I'm picking Holtzman. 
Yeah, that's the smarter. That's the smart pick. Uh, Scott Holtzman is a tough, grindy, kind of grindy wrestler. He's coming off of the loss to Nick Lentz, but other than that, his only losses are to Do- uh, Drew Dober and Josh Emmett. Uh, he, he's like he's a tough guy to really kind of get out of there, and mid-level, I think he will win. Solid mid-level lightweight. Yeah. And uh, then, for some reason, Karko Stoizic and Kennedy and Chukwu. Cab driver fight of the evening. I want. I vaguely recall in Chukwu's UFC debut against Paul Craig. I have tried very hard to block it from my mind because it was so bad. Um, holdover from the Contender Series. He's fighting Darko Stojic. I'm actually going to pick Stojic because in Chukwu was so bad. I got done with that fight with Paul Craig and went, okay, I never want to see this guy fight ever again. And yet, here he is. Yeah, this fight, is... fight on the main card. Uh, I don't puzzling, know. Puzzling, puzzling, puzzling. Uh, Mickey Gall got relegated to the prelims. Is is Mickey Gall fighting for his UFC job here, you think? Mickey Gall should not have a UFC job. <laughs> he will be fighting Salim Tuhari. And look, Mickey Gall's a gimmick fighter. His whole gimmick was, I'm going to call out these you know, other kind of gimmicky fighters who no one really wants to see fight, but are he- hanging it around. Worked at first, worked out well for him for a while. It did, and he got to beat up some high-profile, stupid gimmick and fighters. And he got finished by Diego Sanchez. Then he got finished with strikes by Diego Sanchez in 2019, and he should have been done in the UFC at that um, point. He's five and two though, and he's fighting a guy who's ten and three, who is winless in the UFC so far. Salim, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this. Uh, he's Tuari, Tuari. He's Polish. I forget exactly. I believe it's Tuhari. Um to Worley Alves and Kaden Nakamura in his only two UFC fights. So. Yeah, I I think they're giving Mickey Gall a bit of a, all right, you better win this or go home kind of I'm thing. Pick, I'm picking Salim. I want to, but I'm actually going to pick Gall, and I'm just prepared to eat crap when he makes me look stupid. Um, okay, for the record, I'm not sure if th- we have the correct bout order here, but we're just going to go with it. Uh, so I apologize to some of these I know are in order. Some of them I do not. Chenko's little sister. Big sister. Really? I believe Antonina's older. Oh, she's 34. So how old is Valentina? Uh, Valentina is 31. Yeah, Antonina's older. Oh, wow. Valentina is just a lot better. Well, little little, little uh, physically, then. Yeah, uh, Antonina, both, very different physically. Never mind. Well, Antonina's taller, but she's not nearly as thick. Valentina's a very, very well-muscled woman. Whereas Antonina's a bit more on the... Uh, a lot more of the lead muscle Antonina side. Antonina is in the UFC because of her sister. You think? More or less. Uh, well, let me put it like this: she, she she got a shot to be in the UFC because yeah. she's Valentina's sister. They're also trying really hard to develop women's flyweight, and Antonina is a body for that division. Right. Eh. And she's fighting Lucy Pudilova, who is not really all that good. Um, I'm. I think. I think Antonino wins here. Okay. Fly uh, Jordan Espinoza versus Matt Schnell. 
Um, they're probably going to cut both of these guys after the fight. Uh, I like Matt Schnell, which is, uh, so it kind of sucks as far as that goes. Uh, two women's flyweight fights, Lauren Murphy versus Mara Romera Barella and Miranda Granger versus Hannah Goldie. Uh, I feel okay picking Lauren Murphy in that fight. Um, Barella's a good grappler, but is kind of limited as far as that's all she's got going for her. Right. I, I hate picking against her, though, because she runs a, a drug ring out of Italy, and I don't know if she'll have me whacked. Um, and as far okay. as the other one, I don't know anything about either of those two women. I wonder if we'll see any footage of that on Embedded. Uh, what her drug ring? Yeah, probably not. Now, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna be up all night doing research on this. Uh, she was arrested by Italian thor by Italian authorities. Uh, yeah, she was for distributing and selling prohibited drugs, uh, including cocaine. I forget how much it was. Um, she was just part of a ring. There were like thirty. There were thirty three other people and. She actually can't. She is not allowed to compete in uh, in Italy at all. Um, she's been suspended oh. by, I believe, their national anti-doping agency for 15 years. Everyone deserves a second chance, Robert. Look, I'm not saying she's a terrible person. Except Michael Vick, who is a terrible person. 95% of all professional athletes are terrible people. I mean... But did you see the tapes of John Jones? Dana White saw the tapes. No. Oh, one other bout for that card. We have Claudio Silva and Cole Williams. That's been announced. Um, Cole Williams, I believe, making his UFC debut here. He's got to be replacing someone. Yeah, Claudio Silva was supposed to fight Ramazan Emiv. That sucks. That would have been a really good fight. Um, Claudio Silva is actually a pretty, pretty good fighter. I mean, there was some dubiousness about the finish of Danny Roberts, but other than that, he's undefeated. Only lost his he only his only loss was his debut professionally. Where he was disqualified for an elbow for using an illegal elbow strike of some variety. And he's five and zero in the UFC. Unfortunately, his big thing has been inactivity because he debuted in the UFC in 2014 and just missed from 2014 to 2018. Just no fights. So I, I feel pretretty confident picking him there. Claudio Silva is again a pretty solid fighter. But uh, that's gonna be yeah, that's gonna be UFC on ESPN five again. Early start time next Saturday or this coming Saturday. So. Be on the lookout for that again. The first prelim, I believe, is noon Eastern. So adjust you for time accordingly. And, hey, it'll be nice to have a Saturday evening to myself for once. I don't know what I'll do with it. All right. So let's probably waste it. To news items. BJ um, will be- yeah, let's start. Let's start with BJ Penn because BJ they announced. BJ Penn is fighting at UFC 244. The grudge match finally climaxes between BJ Penn and. Nick Lentz, and Nick Lentz would read his slam poetry on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani when it was still hosted by Ariel Hawani, and now they're, they're finally going to fight, Robert. The grudge match we've been waiting several years for is going to happen. There's a grudge associated with this fight? There is. There yeah. is. It goes back years. If you say um, so. 
it goes back when BJ Penn fought Frankie for the third time, as I recall. So quite some time. BJ Penn is only 40 years old and has gone 0 7 and 1 in his last eight fights. So He's on a seven fight losing streak. He has not won a fight since beating Matt Hughes in November 2010. So this comeback is just around the corner. You can feel it. Uh, Dana White said last night at the post fight press conference that BJ Penn talked him into it and he's booking the fight. But. Win, lose, or draw, there will be no more fights for BJ Penn after this fight in the UFC. So, at least we can count on six more fights with BJ Penn in the UFC. You beat me to the joke. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, this doesn't make... I'm beyond saying this doesn't make sense, all right? It doesn't make sense. We how all know this doesn't make even, sense. How is New York even sanctioning this? Is my I don't know that they have yet, um, which is one of the... I know the UFC said this is what they want. I New York, I give you a lot of grief. For a good reason. Oh, yeah. The fight isn't official yet, technically. So there's technically still time. You know, I just... Do not New York this one up. You are looking at a man, again, in BJ Penn, who's not even been competitive, really. Who probably has CTE. Almost certainly, given... I would be shocked if he doesn't. Let me put it like that. I'm not a doctor. Well, when... I'm not a doctor either. And, like, Dana White had that whole thing. If, like, any of you have a problem with this or you doctors, I, I don't know. He said something. He said something like that when people were questioning this move last night. Like, if unless you're a doctor or something, shut up, basically, was the gist of it. But. And he will then, of course, ignore any doctor he doesn't like. But. You know, the evidence we do know, when you hear about these erratic public incidents with bj penn um you're aware of them yes yep it's hard for me i mean these are are these not incidents that are associated with someone suffering from uh concussion post-concussion syndrome don't they get erratic and and they and and they have violent aggressive behavior yeah a lot of them do and 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 depression and depression yep there's a those are things that have generally been linked to CTE based on my knowledge. So I'm not saying he does have CTE, but what I am saying is it wouldn't surprise me if he did. Wouldn't shock me. Again, I, given the way he's fought and the amount of blows he's taken to the head, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. I'm, I'm surprised by most, by any fighters that get out of fighting and do not suffer long-term uh, brain damage. I mean, they still could. It is the norm. We just, aren't, we just aren't aware of it. Yeah. It, it is the norm to for that to happen. It is uh, But, I mean, Nick Lentz is still a good fighter. I, I, can't, I can't fathom or approve of this. I mean, Bisping fighting three weeks, fighting Gastelum three – how long was that? Was it three weeks after the GSP fight? Something like that. It was short. It, it was, was real short. In China, I thought was ridiculous. Well, the UFC got to self-regulate, so I don't think that should should have been allowed. Um, because Bisbing got he got horribly knocked out in that fight, and I think 
he didn't get knocked out against GSP, but he clearly got his bell rung in that fight. Oh, yeah. George dropped him with that left hook and then bludgeoned him with elbows. Like he, made, There was a lot of concussive force applied to his head in that fight. It made no sense at all. Yeah. I look at this fight and I go, here's kind of where my, my brain goes with this. If we're not, if the regulatory bodies in place are not going to actually serve the intended function of a large part of which is, you know, protecting fighters from themselves for being the, you know, for want of a better expression, being the grownups in the room to look at a situation like this dispassionately and go, no, we can no longer condone or sanction this then you do not actually serve a purpose. At which point we should just, you know, ignore all the, at which point, again, if you're not actually going to fulfill the function that you were created to do, why do you exist in the first place? And why should we care at all? I have a question here. You and I are not doctors and we're not regulators. I admit that. Being a regulator is a, Elected or appointed are, there, are, there, are the collective regulators in, in these regu- in these combat sport and regulatory bodies for athletics? Are they doctors that have medical degrees or, or have researched CTE? I don't know. Uh, it de- it depends. I think it depends on the commission. Some of them might have actual doctors on them. Might, but but do you think Bob Bennett does? Oh, Bob Bennett. He's not a doctor. I mean, so I mean, what is it? Why do we have to be, my question is, why do we have to be doctors with medical degrees or advanced degrees in post-concussion syndrome or CTE or whatever to be able to say this is a bad idea? I don't know why people think that's the case. That doesn't make sense to me. Look, I think it's a bad idea. I'm I'm not being an idiot here, right? Like, am I making a good point here? No, I get your point. I mean, look, when BJ when BJ and uh, Clay Guida fought, I took a bit of crap for saying that BJ Penn should not be allowed to fight anymore at all. Why would anyone give you crap for that? Because who am I to say what he should be doing with his life? And he actually looked pretty – he had a decent five minutes and whatever rationalization people want to throw at it. Look, I don't eh, – look, I'm going to make this – I'll say this again. I, mean, I feel like we were at this point after the third fight with Edgar where – he came back and looked horrendous. I mean, I thought we... Okay, I agree. I also thought we were at this point after the Yair Rodriguez fight. I also thought we were at this point after the Dennis Seaver fight. But for some reason, we keep coming back to the same point. And look, I do not think BJ Penn should be fight. I mean, here's the other thing about this, but you know, to the if the argument is, well, he looked okay for five minutes against Clay Guida... I'm sorry, does winning reverse brain damage? Because I don't think it does. At what point did that become a thing? I, I just remember when he when he did he he was doing this again a few fights ago and Ariel Hawani's well well he's doing it the right way now. He's he's training with he's training with an actual camp and they're gonna help him train and do it the right way this I mean come yeah. on here. Okay, look, A, you should have done that and earlier. That, B at this point it doesn't matter. Your ticket's punched, dude. You're had, done. Had he done that after the John Fitch fight, I would have been like, all right, let's give him a shot. But I agree. We've seen, we've seen too many incidents. I that, At this point, I do not think there's anything he can do from a preparatory standpoint to actually fix the problems. I just don't think it exists. I mean, 
I don't think he should be fighting anymore at all. I do not think it's healthy. I don't think he should be licensed, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I think we have passed the point of, and whatever the line is, again, it, it's a weird thing, but I think we have passed the point where, where he should, in good conscience, be allowed to fight competitive, to be allowed to fight anywhere at all. That's that's just where I've landed on this. And look, anyone else out there that, you know, I'm not going to say if you feel differently, you're wrong. If you're if your line for this is different than mine, you know, fair play. But don't even, I mean, I, I don't think he had a good five minutes against Guida. I mean, relatively good. I, I think mean, he won I mean, a round. I didn't give him a round. And second of all, it's Quake. Second of all, it was Clay Guida. Yeah, I know. Congratulations. You look you did not look terrible for five minutes against 2019 Clay Guida. No. Right. How much of an is that even much of an accomplishment? It's not. I at this point I'm pretty convinced BJ Penn just actually wants to die in the cage. Like that that is his life goal right now, is to find some way out under those circumstances. And I guess Dan White just doesn't like him as much as he does Chuck Liddell. That is sure. that is pretty well documented at this. Look, Dana White said very specifically that he was not going to promote Chuck Liddell, not because Chuck Liddell wouldn't draw, but because, quote unquote, I don't want that money. Okay. Yeah, you're full. I again, agree. I agree with that sentiment. So I don't know how you can do, and I, I and turn around and do that with BJ Penn this many times. I mean, look, when he criticized Oscar De La Hoya for putting on Chuck and Tito, whatever, I just went, buddy, you're booking BJ Penn. Shut up. You have no moral high ground. You keep, you continue to book BJ Penn. You don't get and to that, mock but, but, anybody but else. After all that and booking BJ Penn again, again, against Nick Lentz. I mean, Nick Lentz is going to run over him like, <laughs> like a steamroller. Like, that's not a competitive fight. That's not even close to competitive. Nick Lentz is still a good, not top 15, but relevant lightweight. And he's probably going to do some serious damage to BJ Penn. And everyone's going to feel gross. Put their foot down and do what and do their job. Yeah, got, do, get, your job is not to just sanction whatever comes across your desk. Your job is to evaluate it. This is not a fight that should be allowed. BJ Penn should not be allowed to fight, period. I think we've just reached that point. I have no problem saying it. So I was iffy on it when he came back. I was iffy on it when he came back for a third fight with Edgar at Featherweight, which was nonsense to me, but whatever. And then he, I think, fought at Featherweight again after that. He fought a couple of times at featherweight. Uh, both the Rodriguez and the Seaver fights were at featherweight. I mean, it was only it was only I think for the Guida fight that he moved back that he moved back up to lightweight. Any yeah, well, double check that actually. Yeah, it's it's sad. It's it's very sad. Okay, he no he moved back up to lightweight to fight Ryan Hall when he got heel hooked. Ugh. And then he stayed there when he fought Clay Guida. Uh, okay, so the John Jones business. Um, 
Dana White said something at yeah. the press conference last night. Some of the videos are coming back. I've seen some videos. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to hurt his case or whatever, but it's unfortunate. Let's put it that way. Told TSN in Canada, when you're famous, these type of things happen to you. From what I've seen so far, when it all surfaces and comes to the top, it looks good for John. It looks very good for John. It's quite sad, actually. Uh, make of that what you will. Here's my take on this. And this is a life lesson for anyone out there who cares to listen. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to point this at John, but this is for everybody. Different people are capable of doing and handling themselves in different situations. Some people, maybe this is you, cannot be a rap, just cannot contain themselves when they're, you know, when, when they go engage in activities. Look, some people can go out to a bar, have a good time, and nothing bad happens. Some people can't do it. Some can sing karaoke and be nice, be a happy drunk. And, not some, pe and some people can go out and just have a couple of drinks and, then, and not get and hammered. And then realize that, and then realize they're too hammered to drive home themselves and call a cab. There are some people who can, you know, go to sporting events and just, you know, not be giant jackasses. There's a lot of people who can't. And if you are not one of those people, look, again, some people can stay up until 3.30 in the morning and then wake up two hours later and go to work and be fine. Some people can't. Know what you can and cannot handle as a person. Just as a just as an individual. And if you're John Jones, I think at this point you probably just shouldn't be in a strip club. John's not a whatever John's issues are and have been, he's not a guy who seems to have engaged in, you know, violence towards other people outside the cage. That does not seem to be his issue. Could be wrong. I don't have complete information, but that's not something about him that has come to light thus far. But between you being famous, between you having some of the issues that you have, just, is it really a good idea for you to do this? And if that just means, you know what, you don't get to, you know, go drinking with your buddies at a strip club anymore. Hey, you know what? Make the tough call. And just avoid putting yourself in this kind of a position. Even if I'm, again, assuming that he did nothing wrong then you're better off to avoid that whole situation to begin with just because this won't you never go to a strip club this is never going to happen and if Robert, he is in the wrong Robert yeah it ain't no sin to go into a strip club he was just being rebellion uh actually i'm of the opinion it is a sin to go into a strip club but my religious beliefs notwithstanding i mean i'm not here to preach <laughs> It is not what illegal. I mean, what if you're going into the strip club to to preach to sinners? Then, yeah. then God would probably accept it, right? I don't know. Uh, you're <laughs> look. There's plenty of other sinners. You don't All have right. to go. Well, to you there. ruined the joke. I was I was trying to quote Pac-Man Jones there, and you. Oh, I was not aware that. Look, I was not aware that was a Pac-Man Jones quote. Because he was another professional athlete who got in trouble after going into a strip club. Yeah, guys, look, I get it. We all like looking at women or men or whatever. Those establishments exist for a reason. But let's do a little risk assessment here. And again, we're, if we're you... are talking about John Jones. Yeah, like, again, even if he did nothing wrong, 
you put yourself in a position to be exploited. And if he did do something wrong, you could have avoided the whole thing by not being there in the first place. I mean, I mean, people can handle different things. He is the guy who failed a drug test. Now this is documented. It's documented. He failed a drug test for taking dick pills. Yes. Um, that's the, that's the cover story at least now. Was he taking male enhancement pills for his uh, fiance, who he's still not married to, as far as I know? Those long engagements, man, they're killer. Or do you think, I mean, come on here. He's going to all these parties. He's going to strip clubs. Come on now. Look, I don't know. And such a stretch that he has side pieces. Come on. Almost certainly. I'm not saying I'm not saying it with certainty, but it wouldn't surprise me. Second of all, why has he not gotten married yet? Couldn't tell you. You'd have to ask them. Like That's- we we publicly know the the mother of his children is his fiance, and they've never gotten married, and they've been together for over ten years at this point. What is going? What is what's wrong with this picture? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to, me, to me, it just says he doesn't want to make it official, is what it sounds like to me. Because he's worried about alimony. I again, I couldn't tell you for sure, but that's certainly a reason. I don't know. But wouldn't now does now does New York have common law marriage uh, laws at, at all? Do you know? I do not. I imagine they do. Most I mean, places I mean, do. I mean, technically, I don't know what New York's law is on this, but... I don't even know if he lives in New York at the moment. I, I don't know where John lives. He might live in Albuquerque. I don't know what Albu- what New Mexico's laws on this are either, but I'm, cur- I'm curious. I'm just saying, it's a little weird to me. He's, he never got married. I agree with that. That They're, is a little weird. Look, not just as bait. Like, they, they aren't, like... They made a big thing, a public thing of getting engaged, and it's a little strange to me. It just tells me he doesn't really want to get married, and he doesn't want to um, – he's worried about those financial commitments long term. You're this God-fearing Christian. You're, you're engaged to this woman. She, she's the mother of your children. Why would you not marry her? When you're engaged, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't get it either. He's had pl- he's had plenty of time. He's had plenty. He's had plenty of time to think about this. Don't you think that's a little weird, Robert? What I mean, come on. Look, man, I'm weird. From my reckoning, I'm weird for being 33 and never having been married. I my culture is weird like that. Okay. But have you been engaged to someone for like 15 years? I've never had a serious relationship. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, he's, he's been with this woman since. Before. I mean, again, I can only give you in, in this, in this what respect, I can give you the LDS perspective. What do you think? Look, pretty much everyone I went to high school with is married now and has at least two kids. I think. Most of my, again, most of kind of the culture around here is you get engaged and you don't want to be engaged for very long. 
yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the average is around here. I'd have to poll people and figure it out. And I don't. It's too much effort, and I don't care enough to but, go but through I mean, it. If you're John Jones's wife slash fiance, whatever it is at this point, to me, it's got to be more of a Kobe Bryant situation at this point, right? Come on. I how, again, how, I couldn't this, tell you for sure, but I mean, I mean, how is she not embarrassed by this, by these stories? Whether he's guilty or not, it's embarrassing for her. Don't you agree? I would be surprised if it isn't. I'd be embarrassed. I mean, whatever. I'm not a marriage counselor. It's it drives me. Nu- I don't. Maybe it shouldn't, but it drives me nuts. And I'm sorry for that, but it does. Eh. Different stuff drives you know. Different stuff gets under different people's skin. So I mean, we'll see what happens with John. Um, okay, I don't know, but I'd be a little bit surprised. I mean, how do I say this? Again, John's not ever been documented to have the issues that are, that's not been part of his pattern of behavior. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, just means it ha- we don't know about it. Uh, and, what, sexual assault? Uh, something like that, yeah. Well. In this instance, it's just battery, right? I think that's all he's been, you know, kind of accused of is battery. From a legal perspective, I'd have to double check that, so don't quote me. Don't quote me on that either. Yeah, it, again, it's it's John Jones, man. <laughs> Let's see. This is just the circus. I'm trying. I'm just trying, trying to find the latest John Jones thing in a in a long list. Again, I think the most recent thing I saw was uh, specifically battery was the only thing that was brought up. And battery is a. I don't want to say so, yeah, weird. battery. I, I don't want to say weird because it's. I don't want to say weird because it, it falls into a slightly different legal definition than assault, but the two are usually paired together. Because yeah. battery is, yeah. I forget the strict. Def- I forget the separation between the two, but they are very closely linked. And when you commit one, you usually commit the other, just in the course of going through. It. Anyway, I again, I don't know. This might just be a case of, you know, again, someone kind of trying to take advantage of his celebrity status. This might be him, you know, doing stupid things. I don't know. Could be. Could be. But the saga of John Jones continues to be the saga of John Jones. It doesn't seem like this is going to sideline him as badly as the hit and run. And Corey Anderson was getting into it with him at a signing event. Corey Anderson is barely a relevant fighter. Well, he's relevant <laughs> now. Does Corey Anderson even still exist? Yeah, I mean, he he was... Talking up John Jones and getting into it with him at his autograph signing. Good for you trying to make that happen, I guess, but it ain't going to happen. You're not good enough. (laughs) I'd really like to fight John. No one can remember your last three fights, buddy, and that includes me, and I watched all of them. Maybe we should just do Shogun versus John again. Don't. Don't even put that out there. Anderson won his last three fights. He loses TP to Shara and Cummins. He hasn't fought this year yet, though. 
Didn't I mean even Dana White buried Corey Anderson after he started making that noise? Said, well, yeah, Corey's turned down like fifty fight. I mean, Dana yeah. exaggerates, but I mean, when was Corey Anderson's last fight? Just for uh, December against Latifi. Okay, so you barely got by Alir Latifi eight months ago, and now all of a sudden, yeah, no, stop, Corey. Have a performance that people actually remember, other than Ovin St. Preux head kicking you. And maybe we can talk. I mean, I have to look this up now because I have seen all of this man's fights. I know that because because I have covered them. Okay, he's actually on a three-fight winning streak. Wow. He beat Pat Cummins, Glover Teixeira, and Alir Latifi. Prior to that, he was knocked out by Ovin St. Preux and Jimmy Manoa. I could not remember any of those fights. I I covered them. I know I covered all of them. They all took place in 2018. Well, the, those three wins. I know I covered them all. And I couldn't tell you anything about any of them. That's how memorable and relevant a fighter Corey Anderson is. Uh, all right. I think any other pressing news items we should uh, go over? Uh, I think the last thing I wanted to touch on very briefly is Zo- uh, Dana White has hired someone to help get Zufa Boxing up and running. I think they have a launch date of October uh, for this year. So are they going to book and present their own boxing cards now? or I think so. Probably on Fight Pass. Uh, they will just are yeah. They they'll just to are they open to co-promoting with like Eddie Hearn or whatever or what do they want to do here? I don't know beyond that. I know that Dana said Dana said that they would be you know bidding for boxing purses, um, which is an expensive proposition. Some, uh, I mean, I mean, some of the higher level boxers do make a lot, right? Oh yeah. Look, you want to get someone like uh, you know Deontay Wilder. Uh, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, you want someone like them to fight on Fight Pass, you're going to pay them $30 million. I mean, and that could tick off, that could tick off fighters. That should piss off all the MMA fighters. So, again, they're looking into it, and they apparently, again, have some kind of, and, I mean, look, I'm not opposed to the existence of another kind of, you know. I'll believe it when I see it, basically. I'm with you there, but look, if if this kind of catalyzes, you know, some UFC fighters to actually do something about their terrible the state of their pay. Okay, I mean, if they don't like it, they got it. It's on there. Not, there's things they can do. UFC. It's not the UFC's job to uh, you make sure they're unionized. You know, it's not the UFC's job to give them the maximum amount that they're worth. It's their job to make. In some respects, it's their job to give them the minimum. Well. We can we can probably argue yeah, that long, but, you know, long-term labor issues, you know, look, labor philosophies I, I aside. I feel the same way about WWE, and this is kind of where I divert from the John Oliver piece. Is you know, the fighters. To me, the onus is on the fighters if they want, if they want, if they feel they're being mistreated. Fighters and pro wrestlers, if they feel feel they're being mistreated, they have to. 
and and it has to be at every level. It can't just be a handful of dudes and and whatever. But uh, I don't know. Where, I don't know where this is going to go. It seems like he's on good terms with Eddie Hearn now. If they wanted to cope, I, I mean, any look, any boxing promoter or you know manager of talent will find their will find any platform that they can reasonably get to to give their fighters opportunities okay, I mean, as long I as mean, it's profitable look, for everyone. And Dana it, White giving them another giving another spot for their fighters to get paid and to be seen is not a bad thing. I mean, look, they have a they have a decent platform. If they well, they, I mean, they have, I think uh, they have Roy Jones Jr.'s you know, loose promotion, that kind of prom- uh, association that they uh, that does boxing have, on Fight Pass. In Fight Pass, I don't know what their numbers are, but they're well-established. Um, Fight Pass is, I think, a pretty reliable, at least it's a, like, I'm not a Fight Pass subscriber, but I think it's a decent service. Like, when they actually go out of their way to do stuff with it, it's a perfectly fine service. I like, like the I interface. Mean, I, I like the that, player. And I mean that from like it's a good like it works well. It's reli- It's reliable. I have never had an issue on my end with it. Again, I like the player they have. Uh, certainly better than the ESPN Plus one. It's I like the right. interface. Right. Yeah. I, on the, when I've tried Fightpass, on the whole, I liked it better than ESPN Plus. By I know. Um, and they have, and they have the relationship with ESPN plus. So there's a lot of different ways that could go. And if they wanted to, I, like, I could see how they could make it work is what I will they do it. And can it work? I don't know. We'll see. I'm not convinced yet. Uh, I, uh, again, I imagine they will, again, they'll have a go at it, but I don't know. You know, to the the degree to which they'll be successful, there's some infrastructure issues that I'm cu- questions rather than issues that I want to see how they how they played out. But from an infrastructure standpoint, I, I mean, ever since they completed the sale to WME, it just hasn't seemed as strong, just all across the board. Eh, it's just seemed it's and it seems uh, like they let a lot of important people go. Important for certain aspects of the business, yes. Again, they fired. Everyone involved with Fight Pass, pretty much. Uh, certainly, the, like the two people whose uh, it was their brainchild, mm-hmm. they were let go of not too long before the sale because, hey, we're moving to ESPN Plus. So, uh, I maintain this: if Fight Pass had not already been up and running when they made that sale, they would it would not exist. They uh, just they just don't everything that they were doing on that even before the ESPN deal, pretty much after the WME buyout as i recall yeah they were downsizing and removing a lot of, uh, you know they were doing a lot of personnel shifting even before that that buyout it felt like you could see it in the mark like in the marketing especially because the marketing could, efforts did not seem as strong to me after the after the espn uh not ESP, after the wn media some of them yeah i mean again i've always taken issues is with true. i don't know if this is true but Ariel Hawani once expressed on a show that it was like a skeleton crew. I don't know. Now, this might have, this was a little while, a couple years ago, so it might have changed by this point, but that's what it was uh, pre ESPN. There was probably a period of weeks or, or months when they were just between personnel that, yeah, there was a very, there was probably the minimum number of people actually doing that job. But it showed. 
oh, definitely yeah. show. And I don't know. I, that's the thing about mergers. When mergers happen, people get fired. People lose their jobs, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, always happens. All right. Um, I think that will be everything, unless there was anything else that you wanted to touch on. All right. Let's go into plugs then. It's been a few weeks for you. So what? What's new? What did What did you get coming out of Comic Con? Uh, what movies? Give me the Give me the Give me the details. News are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know if you saw that yet. Not yet. Are you familiar with the Garth Ennis comic, The Boys? I've heard I need to read it. I have not read it yet. I do know that Amazon dropped know, uh, season one. Postmodern superhero decon like deconstruction. Let me put it like this: I'm more familiar with I'm familiar with Ennis's work. In kind of a loose sense. Uh, I reviewed the show. I saw the premiere at Comic-Con. So this is part of my Comic-Con coverage. Was the boys premiere. Uh, it's very much the Garth Ennis style. So very outrageous. Over the top violence. Almost cartoony level violence. It can't be as. Uh, I say this not because. Mm-hmm. Not, not as a knock on the video. On the on the series. Yeah. It cannot be as. It cannot be as graphic as what Garth Ennis writes and draws. It just can't. It that is. just doesn't fly. The show definitely is. I mean, I'm um, sure they. I'm sure they go in that direction, but again, I, I, I honestly, I thought this show captured the Garth Ennis style better than Preacher. Honestly, and I haven't seen enough Preacher. In I was never. I mean, I loved the Preacher comic. The show was not. Just didn't do it for me. Um, and I think a big part of that was AMC. They just couldn't, I think on AMC, even you can't do as much because it's still a basic cable network. Um, so because this is a premium streaming show, they could do, they can get away with a lot more. Um, overall, I, I enjoyed the premiere. I, I, I mean, I, by this point I've watched the rest of the season. I, I think it was a decent first season. It does change a lot in the second half, but uh, they have a second season already in the works, so we'll see where it goes. Reviews, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest. Have you seen it yet, Robert? No, I'll be seeing it Tuesday okay. before I review it. Um, on the whole, I liked it. Uh, I is, it. is it way too long? Most definitely. It's a two-hour, 45-minute movie. This movie does not need to be two hours and 45 minutes. I think it could have been... Two hours and 20 minutes. And that's even then that that's still a pretty long movie. Uh, good performances by Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Editing some. I, I think he could have been a bit had a bit more restraint with his editing. Um, and of course, lots of bare feet. So very surprising to see lots of bare feet from women in a Tarantino movie. Don't you think? Right. I am shocked and appalled by this. Are you really shocked? Completely. I cannot believe that comes completely um, out of left field. Tarantino's movie, never intimated anything like that before in his visual work. Fair warning. Are Sharon Tate and the Manson family and Charles Manson in this movie? Yes. Is this movie about the Manson murders, uh, Sharon Tate and the Manson family? No, it is not. This is movie is about a fictional uh, Hollywood actor and his sort of declining career in 1969 Los Angeles. And that's basically what the movie is about. So it's fictional, fictional characters and mixed in with some 
real characters in a couple real events, basically. But overall, a decent, a decent film. I would say go see it at least once. See what you think. Uh, the Lion King was awful. The remake, not the original. Um, so it's making a billion dollars. So what? It's still garbage. Uh, next review will be Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff. I'm sure you're very excited about that. I would rather die, but I'm going to see it. You would you would rather die, but you're going to see it anyway. Good. good if I die before I see <laughs> it, I'm okay with that. Wow. Uh, okay, so check that review Look, out. I don't. I just don't need to see Roman Reigns ever under any circumstances. Um, and check out my uh, other Comic Con coverage stuff, uh, my panel recaps, uh, my interviews with The Witcher cast and crew. Those are all up there in the movie section uh, right now. So uh, thank you, Robert, and I will check in with you next week. All right. As for myself, last week, my, uh, Mark Radulich. Alexis Haina and I got together to review Disney's CGI version of The Lion King. None of us really cared for it. Um, <laughs> I think we all kind of agreed that the only decent thing is uh, Eichner and uh, Rogan as uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, everything else, real iffy. Real iffy. And I just have to say again, whoever decided to do that to be prepared needs to be flogged publicly uh this week we'll be reviewing uh once upon a time in hollywood again i haven't seen it yet but uh we'll see we'll see when uh, i have to see it first i've i've i was really i was initially kind of hyped then i heard some of the things and i've cooled a little uh so i might feel better after i see it i might feel worse what did you think of the lion king remake uh there's no reason to watch it Why are people just so easily amused by these I don't Disney know. remakes that are that are horrendous? People when people are easily amused by the Transformers franchise. People watch the Fast and the even Furious the movies. Trans- I don't know. Even the Transformers movies, like it, they wore like it wore out after a while. Sure, it just took what six movies. Yeah. Well, uh, did. There's two things I think that have helped Disney with their kind of remake policy as far as that goes. One is they've already had several that flopped. Okay. So there's very so the the marketplace and the audience is very clearly picking and choosing which ones they want to go see and which ones they do not. So as opposed to Transformers where all right, we're going to see all of them. This is more well, uh, no one cares about Pete's Dragon, so no one's going to see Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon did well. Yeah, as I recall, it loosely made its budget back, but you know, no one really saw it. Oh, it didn't do that well. Uh, you know, Dumbo didn't do all that well. Dumbo bombed. Yeah, there, there's so again, they've had a few that have just been straight up bombs. But anyone who saw, you know, Beauty and the Beast or Cinderella or The Lion King as a kid in the animated mo- version is probably gonna check it out at least once. It makes me angry, though. I mean, it's... There was no soul in that Lion King film. And the, I... and the performances were so stiff. Oh, they were bad. And the, like, and the, like, what did they do to be, be prepared was... It's, in my opinion, it is the best Disney villain song there is, period. And they did that to it. 
and they just in that and what we saw in the film was and look, I highly respect uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. He's a great actor, genuinely that great actor. It. That was not it, man. That just was not. That was not good. I don't know how much of that was direction. I don't know how much of that was on the actors. I I don't know. Like I, I expect Beyonce to not to have to be a little stiff and clunky in terms of acting, but Donald Glover, I think you would agree, is like a good performer. He's a like a good talented performer. Even he sounded disinterested throughout with his vocals. I'm pretty convinced Donald Glover was there. They could only afford Donald Glover for one day. So he just read it once, and they just took his first take on everything. But in the other, and John Favreau is a good director too. Like on the whole, I think a talented. He's even directed a similar right? movie to this one in terms of CGI composition with uh, the Jungle Book. That was much better. Than but this. the Jungle Book actually had live, like live in camera material. This was all. This was all created via computer. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't know. I don't know where all the points of failure were for this movie, but there were a lot of them, and they hit all of them. Every possible bump. But in the it road. doesn't matter because it's doing great. Yeah, it'll make a lot of money. It's probably going to make a billion dollars. Aladdin made a billion dollars, and there's not very much to that. Did you see Aladdin? I did. Now, like that 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 Jasmine song, it doesn't fit in that movie. Nope. Like. And- um, <laughs> and then and then like they try to make Jasmine this strong character and then she gets her legs cut out from under her whenever they try to do that. So I'm like wh- like what do, what do you, like what kind of point are you even making here? I think Jasmine in that movie is what a lot of stupid men think feminism is. Like there's someone at the table who goes we have to have a feminist character and this is the best they could come up with. And I'm not normally the type of guy that, you know... Some feminists liked it and are promoting that. Sure. I... all Most of the feminists I know have pointed out all the major flaws with the characterization in that role rather than being very happy about it. I'm just saying, like, that... Putting that song in the middle of the movie, it didn't fit. Because it doesn't fit the style of the rest of the movie. Or the songs for the rest of the movie. And that song had no impact on the plot at all. So it kind of, it was kind of pointless. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. It's so I, I mean, because the rest of the music and, and songs in the movie were composed by different artists, and you can tell because it doesn't sound like the other songs in the film. That's true. So yeah, you can Good if job. you look. I like this. Yeah, you if you show. So if you're interested in my full thoughts, again, you can find our review of The Lion King this weekend. It's uh, last, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which will be the... F- uh, Mark and I reviewed uh, Hateful Eight, too. So if you want to go into the archives, you can find that from a couple of years ago. We both really enjoyed that one. Well, What are your thoughts on women's feet in Tarantino films? I... How do you... In Tarantino's films. I mean, look, if, if, if all parties are... It, like if everyone knows what's up, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not gonna again feet, if feet, dirty soles, and toe, toes. Lots of that in this film. Look, you're gonna see more of Margaret Qualley's and Mar- Margot Kidder's 
feet than you ever wanted to see. I will prepare myself. Hey, you know what? Whatever. Again, look, if everyone knows what's up, go for it. I don't care. I mean, Margot Qualley didn't seem to have a problem with it. Again, if all if all parties are aware of what's going on and whatnot, then you know what? Go for it. I don't care. It's Margot Robbie's not going to do anything she's not cool with on a movie set at this point. I would hope you know that you should always that should be the case you know always, but certainly given Uma her level Thurman, of notoriety. Now, now Uma Thurman was bullied into doing that driving sequence, so. That's fair. And, again, I, and I'm not. And again, I'm not very cool with that. But I'm not. Again, either, but I mean, it, it is kind of. It's also kind of the movie business, you know. Directors and actors clash all the time. And if you're really not happy with it, don't sign the contract. Yeah. And if you're really unhappy after you've signed the contract, you can get out of it. Like there, there are clauses built in for that. So. Okay. If. if if everyone basically went along with it and so and such, then you know what? Again, just whatever. I think you're gonna like the film, Robert. Ah, uh, we'll see. Did you like Hateful Eight? More or less. Have you watched uh, the Netflix TV version, which is like an alternate cut? No, I have not seen that yet. Okay. I mean, Tarantino's good about getting good performances out of actors, and I've, I'm looking forward to the camaraderie between uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt more than anything else. So, uh, if you, I think you're going to enjoy that then. That, I, there's thanks. elements of this movie I fully expect to enjoy. I imagine there's a few things I'm not going to as well, but that's kind of par for the course. All right, and then let me think what else do I have. And then Saturday, of course, coverage for UFC on ESPN5. And next week, we'll be back here to review that and to preview UFC on ESPN Plus 14. This will be the promotion's debut in the country of Uruguay. And you know what? Those top two fights are actually pretty darn good. We should have a show where we only talk about Goblin Slayer. Uh, look, starting a podcast is very easy. If you want to have a Goblin Slayer podcast, I would encourage you to do so. Okay. Would you talk about Goblin Slayer with me, though? Eh, maybe, maybe not. We can talk about what what type of alignment he should have. What type of D&D alignment? Uh, just for kicks, I'd argue he's true neutral. Uh... Anyway, so yeah, next... Uh, we'll be previewing that card next week. That's headlined by Valentina Shevchenko and Liz Carmouche. Uh, and the co-main event is Vicente Luque and Mike Perry. So those are good fights. Um, I can't say that about the rest of the card, really. His official alignment is chaotic good. That's probably... Again, I'd argue something else just to argue the point, but chaotic good is probably correct. He ignores a lot of stuff and has a very defined view of right and wrong, but eschews a lot of... Uh, you know, the uh, order versus chaos. He's just not really interested yeah, in a lot I, of structure. I've down the actual list of chaotic good, and there are a couple contradictions and acronyms, but yeah, there you go. Okay, chaotic. That's my one Look, you're not, you're not chaotic if there's not some contradiction in there. 
I mean, isn't Driz technically chaotic good? I'm pretty sure he is. Anyway, that's what we'll be back here next week to talk over. So I hope you'll all join us again for that. Until then, nice to have Jeff back. He should be back next week. I look forward to talking with him again. Stay safe out there, everybody. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. Thank you for subscribing to the 411 Podcasting Network. However you get your on-demand audio, please give us a listen. Yes, this is the part where I beg for money. Uh, Interact with the product however you can. Give us a comment, a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs down if you think we really suck. Give us a review. If you have a star review from one to five, I don't care what. Just give me something. If it's one, give me one. If you can get it to go down to just half a star, go for it. Just interact with the product somehow to it again. It helps with the algorithm, and the algorithm will control all within the next thirty years. So let's all make it. Try, let's all try to make it happy. And please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.